Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I'm joined by Byron Clymer, Chief Information Officer for Lockton Companies. Byron is an accomplished executive with 25 plus years of technology leadership experience. In his current role, Byron is responsible for driving the people, process, and technology transformation that will take Lockton into the next decade. Prior to Lockton, Byron owned Approach Logic, a consulting firm that helped businesses navigate the complex IT landscape as they went through their own technology transformations. Full disclosure, I work for Lockton, so Byron is an associate of mine, uh, but we don't really talk that much about Lockton here or the work that I do or anything like that. We really get into technology transformation and the the process that goes into it. We talk about where to start. We talk about how EQ matters as much as IQ, if not more. Uh, and I was surprised at how much influence he put on the people process that goes into getting the technology right. Plus, at the end of this, we define a few buzzwords and terms that have been perplexing me for a little while. He really helps organize the flow of information from one data point into usable, actionable technology. So whether you are an IT professional or not, I think there's some really insightful information in here. Without further ado, here is Byron Clymer. And we are live with Byron Clymer. Byron, I appreciate you coming on the show. So I'm really interested to dive in with you and kind of get a peek behind the curtain on not only how we handle technology, but like how companies can think about technology and how that interacts with the people and how they work and everything. So I'm, I'm excited to dive into this topic. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's not every day that a technology nerd gets to talk about his favorite subject, technology. So I appreciate the time. But we can nerd out here today. This will be fun. <laughs> Here's my first question. This is a deep one. What is the difference between a chief information officer and a chief technology officer? <laughs> you know what? When you find the answer to that, let me know. <laughs> No, so the industry is sort of in a it's in a flux right now. So the chief information officer, chief technology officer. So chief, chief technology officer is really more of uh, the person that's forward thinking, um, looking down the road, figuring out how what new technologies might exist in the future. The CIO has been the sort of the operations person in the past. But I'll be honest with you, that's not where I operate. So I kind of, I'm kind of the tweener in the middle. So I do the operations piece, but then I figure out how best we can put a strategy in place to uh, make the operation better for the people that are going to leverage and use the technology. So there's a term out there, and it's fairly new. It's called Chief Information Technology Officer, where they're sort of bringing those components together 
of what a traditional CIO was that really managed the store and the future thinking uh, CTOs are. So, you know, to me, I don't get too wrapped up on it. It's really about the work and the, the product that gets created from the work. We do both at Locked and we have the operational aspects of, of keeping the lights on, uh, making sure that we can support our customers and, and our producers. And we also have the forward thinking aspects of it as well. And what's the strategies? What's the technologies? What's the looking out a year, two years, three years into the future? That's all part of the gig as well. So, so you'll see more progressive organizations sort of bring those together and not just hire a CIO, but look for somebody who covers both uh, worlds from a CIO and a CTO. So it's, it's still very, very, very much undefined. That, that makes sense. I was confused about that one for a while. <laughs> so I wanted to start off with that. What is your origin story? How, how did you get into technology as a career in the first place? So way back when, uh, when the earth was made, <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I played around with uh, computers for programming. So I was a computer programmer. It was a hobby. So there would be my weekends, you know, where, where normal kids were going to the ballpark and doing the doing all that stuff. I'd be stuck in my room cranking code, you know. And this is this is my first computer was I purchased at 11 years old. I made it used all the lawnmower money that I that I did mowing lawns, and I bought my first uh, first computer and just boom, fell in love with it. So I equated to Legos, but it's, if you're familiar with Legos, you can build anything out of the blocks. Software is the same way. Software is the Legos in cyberspace. So you can build, there is not a problem that I believe cannot be solved through the leveraging technology, whatever that may be, computer software, hardware, uh, whatever that it can, it can enable uh, human beings' lives to be better. So that's how I got into it way back when. And I never, I'll be honest with you, I never thought I'd, I'd make a career out of it. I was actually going to go and be a uh, electrical engineer. I kept always going back to the computer programming, the languages and all that stuff. So I decided, you know what, let's just, let's just make it happen. So that's how I got started. And I came to Kansas City. I worked for a company called Sprint. You might have heard of them. Small company. Um, small company, now Sprint T-Mobile. And I built, uh, I was on a team that built uh, software for our contact centers. So as customer would call in, we would want to, to make it easy for our contact center associates to be able to service those customers. So going from a collegiate sort of atmosphere of building uh, homework assignments to building that type of uh, product was, uh, oh my gosh, it was a learning experience, but it was fun. It was absolutely fun. So a uh, number of jobs since Sprint. I uh, went with a company called CenturyLink where I ran uh, their IT operations. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to get connected with a, a company here in Kansas City that needed a CIO. Again, more of a CIO-CTO combo where they were a freight brokerage. So they were actually a dot-com that was disrupting the freight industry. And it was the company was called FreightQuote.com. And another just amazing experience for me to bring technology to bear to help our associates sell more. 
because uh, our magic was created by uh, mashing a bunch of data elements together and making the sale richer uh, for our our constituents that worked worked in the company. Uh, so we did. I did that for four years, and then I decided to go into my own business. I started my own business as a strategic IT consultant. Uh, we focused on transformation sorts of companies and worked in a number of industries from hospitality to manufacturing to warehousing, uh, all the above. The, the cool thing about the industry that I chose as a career is technology is like a lawyer. Technology is transferable. So it doesn't matter the industry that you work in. Right, so you you bring to bear the knowledge, the history uh, that you picked up, and then you've got to stay current. And that's another piece of it that some some folks don't stay up with the technology and the the newness that gets created. And for me, that's what gets me excited. You know, I'm I'm one of those guys. For, I'm staying up at midnight reading the latest trade regs on what's the latest greatest at Galaxy or the iPhone or you know what's the latest uh, technology algorithms out there. Yeah, that's me. I'm the person doing that. That's great. You need to be passionate about what you do. You do, you do. But you've got to bring the you've got to bring those capabilities and those technologies to bear in your industry, and that's that's what enabled me to be a consultant across the different industries to, to pull all that together. And then I'd I got connected to, with Lockton. I'd love to, before we get into the Lockton stuff, I'd love to talk about that business and yeah. transformation. And th- this may tie into the work that you're doing at Lockton, kind of knowing some of what I know, but where does a company even start when they're looking at the technology that they're implementing? Because there's technology that helps them operate internally, be a better administrative function. There's technology that helps their people communicate so they can do their job better. There's technology that's client facing. And so how do you bucket those into different groups? And, and how, like, how should people or business leaders be thinking about the different types of technology? And where do they start to get their arms around it and figure out what it is that they actually need? Yeah, no, it's a great that was question. Probably great too question. big of a question, but how should people be thinking no, about that? No, you're you're ab- absolutely aligned in the right spot. So, so and and I'll be brutally honest with you, that's how I got into the business of being that consultant. So, where people because nobody knew the answer. Nobody they they started in the wrong spot. Oh, they started okay. in the wrong spot. So the spot that you start in is you figure out how the money gets made. You figure out the revenue chain, okay? And here's the fallacy that exists. The fallacy that exists is that you're going to bring uh, technology to solve whatever that problem is. Now, first, you got to figure out, is that a symptom or is that the root cause? And here's the fallacy. You got to talk to people. And technologists, and I'm, I'm a little odd, technologists hate talking to people. They, they like doing their thing. So the consulting part of me and being able to cross multiple uh, arenas allowed me to go into a company and I would start at the front door of whether it was the lead, uh, the person that generated the lead. However, that revenue stream happened, I wouldn't look at the tech. I'd talk to the people. How do you do your job? What's the piece that you put onto the chassis 
to make that final product as it goes down the line. If you don't understand that and, and you come in with a tech solution first, you're done. You're not going to solve it. So, so companies need to step back and they need to, and I've seen this in larger companies, as companies get larger and larger, their, their focal point on how the money gets made and how the, how the associates does their job, it gets less clear. So for bringing a consultant in, or it doesn't have to be a consultant, it can be somebody internal as well, but you got to ask the right questions about how the work gets done, what are the problems that they're experiencing? What are the challenges that they're experiencing? And then you put your analytics hat on, and then you start thinking about, oh, okay, this is what they told me, but this is what it really is. This is the reality of how the things work. So that's how companies should approach it, but it's not necessarily how in reality that they do it. So um, it's not one place you start. It's really you start from where the starting point of the revenue chain works all the way to the back end. And then you're going to discover, you know what? Well, the reason I can't get the bill out uh, fast enough is because it's always stopped at the step, which is way up in uh, the order process, right? So you've got to first understand uh, how the whole thing flows. And in order to do that, you got to talk to people. So I imagine that you've seen all kinds of different problems in those conversations with people, but are there any categories that stand out to you where there's usually a problem? So there's not each company, each industry is different. So uh, I, I can tell you the pattern is where it gets handed off from one department to the other. So you need to make sure that that pattern uh, is a seamless and has as few barriers as possible. And there's a, there's a complete handoff, meaning that, you know, Brian, if I tell you uh, I'm going to hand you off an A, but you heard a B, that's a problem, right? That could be a problem that manifests itself down the line of the revenue chain. So wherever the handoffs are is where you dig in. And that's where I would typically focus is when I was done with one department and that one department either through a system or technology, it didn't matter, an email, a file. What's the understanding of the receiving department of what they're getting? And then does that manifest into what the sending department really thought they were sending? Right? So that's where, that, again, it's down to communication because sometimes they would talk like this as opposed to being clear and uh, concise. And sometimes you bring in technology to solve that. So there's no human-to-human -human, uh, communication, but you create a system that then integrates the two departments together. To eliminate the human error of That's playing, right. playing a game of telephone, essentially. That's exactly right. Did you really mean this? Well, I thought the column B was this, and you put it in column A. Is that right? You know, so those things could manifest themselves in you know billing errors or order errors or, or whatever the case may be. And it's not it's not one industry. It's transferable across multiple industries, those interface points. Because within inside the department, everybody knows, or at least for the majority, they 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 know what they're supposed to do. But then when you when you go from department to department, that's where it gets a little hairy. I imagine that it's tough to get the budget to rip the band-aid off and do everything mm -hmm. that you would want to do and have the time to implement all of that from a technology standpoint. I know 
most systems or a lot of systems have some pretty big implementation time. If a company has a limited budget, is it better to start with one category of problem and then work your way out from there? Or is it better to find your biggest problem and then work your way down to the smallest problem? Yeah, the former, by far the former. And here's why. Here's why. I have never been a part of a a huge implementation that has delivered what it's going to deliver because it's just too big. So you have to break the problem down into small pieces that are consumable. So here's a couple reasons uh, why. You got to build momentum. You got to show the value in what you propose. And if you start with this big thing and say, you know what, O'Brien, I'm going to come back to you in two years and I'm going to deliver some serious magic. Well, you're going to get antsy after the first six months. It goes, how are you doing? How are you doing? I need it now. I need it now. The business can't wait for two years. So I, I haven't seen any business that can wait for two years. So you've got to start delivering value as fast as you can. So, so breaking the problem down into small, consumable pieces of functionality. And then you can go talk to those groups of where those small pieces of functionality are going to be delivered. And you can see if you're in the right, if you're on the right road. Uh, and then get feedback. If you try to do everybody and try to get feedback on the whole thing, it's going to take months, if not years. And then guess what? You know, that, that, that integration point, you know, the, the technology, it's, it's never going to be bug-proof for the first release. So you're going to have to go back and you're going to have to make changes. Making changes to a small piece is a lot easier and more cost-effective than making it to a larger mega piece in the long run. So, so I'm always a big fan. You can have the big program over it, whether it's transformation or whatever, but then you start small and then you create value each step of the way to put things in place. So what does the process look like to gather the people in the beginning to get that project approved and launched? What are are the best practices to getting the right people in the room and starting that process? Yeah. So the first piece is you've got to understand what problem you're trying to solve. So again, if somebody comes in and they want to sell you a piece of technology, show them the door. So they they have to sit down and they have to talk to uh, the business and understand uh, what the flow is and understand where the problems are. And then once they they share with you, here's what we learned, here's the problem, and then here's the proposal. Here's what it's going to take. And that proposal, depending on how big it is, is going to manifest this way in multiple different, I call them pitches. It's going to be pitched differently. You're going to pitch it differently to a business group than you are to the board of directors. So it's different granularities of information that are going to go in there. So the business group that's maybe the consumer, so you can create, you can generate momentum around it. They're going to want to talk about features and functionality and how are you going to make their lives easier and better and how are you going to make it richer experience for them and their, their end users, their customers. Uh, the board of director, it's going to be about money. 
It's going to be about savings. It's going to be about um, how do you set us up for the future? It's going to be more of a strategic conversation because this is going to be a decent sized investment if it's going to the board of directors. So each level, you've got to calibrate the conversation. And again, this is where some people in my field, some do it well and some do it uh, not so well. But you've got to calibrate that conversation based on your audience. And it's just like, you know, any business where you're going in to pitch something, you got to know the room. You got to know who you're, who you're dealing with. Well, I'm smirking because <laughs> that's sales, that's right? Exactly I mean, right. I've been in sales my whole career since I was 18 or 19 years old. And I think a lot about sales. I work with a sales coach and we talk a lot about the dynamics mm-hmm. of sales and everything you're describing is being a salesperson. And so it's, it's funny to hear the technology guy talking about being a really good salesperson. <laughs> but I, I think that people don't realize how necessary and transferable those sales skills are. They just assume that a salesperson is a certain thing who bugs the heck out of them. And y- you know when they need to go communicate something that they want, they're just going to go share the value. And the reality is that there is a, a skill to learning empathy, learning how to ask questions, learning how to, to understand the way that people want to receive information. You know, some people need to see everything that you've done itemized out. Other people just need the cliff notes and, you know, maybe one or two detail points, but they'll tell you what they need. So being able to to build those sales skills, like you said, with the, the lawyer analogy and the technologist analogy, you know, selling you can do across industries as well. And you can even do it across positions. You know, if you were to take a different position, you're still going to sell somebody something at some point. That's right. That's exactly right. It's, uh, and you hit the nail on the head. You've got a, some 50% of the population is visual. The other 50%, they want step one, step two, step three. They want all the numbers and the details. And you've got to know going in how that audience is going to interact. Uh, if you don't, then you haven't done your homework. You have to do your homework to, to get it. So, so that's how you sell it. That's how you sell it. And you know, my advice to folks is, again, I haven't seen... You've got to prove that you're going to be able to deliver value. So you can talk about the program in totality, but really hone in on the first piece of value that you're going to deliver and go in and get that. Do you have an example of like when you've, when you've done that either within LockedIn or one of your past clients? Yeah, you bet. Within LockedIn, the, the first piece of LockedIn's transformation was being able to make it easier for one of our lines of business uh, to do their job. So here's the, here's the situation. So we have, we have a group with inside of Lockton. And it was a, it was a new startup uh, group and they were using email and whiteboards and, you know, different manual sort of analog ways to track their business. So we came in and said, okay, there's a better way, but let me, let me tell you what we can do. So again, the first step was not the technology. The first step was learning that they used email to communicate with one another. And it was to track policies and and whatnot. They would use a whiteboard to track who's working on what, what customer they would, they would be engaged with. So first going in and understanding what their workflow is, their, their revenue, 
piece was that we proposed a solution that leveraged technology uh, that is going to be the foundational piece for a bigger piece of technology that we're going to roll out to the company. So it was sort of a, it was our first product. It was our first case to be able to solve their problem and make it more efficient for them to do their jobs. But it was also for us as technologists was the ability to show what the technology is capable of doing. So now, so what do we have? So now, and it went in, it went live in January of this year. So we got a group that is able to do their job better, faster, easier. They can service their clients better. They got more throughput. And now from a technology perspective, we have a proven technology foundation that we can grow upon. So now this small group of, it was about 20 people. Now they prove the technology works and we can scale that out to the rest of uh, Lockton uh, to be able to leverage that. So when they become your evangelists, right? They're the ones who you can direct people to or other leaders to, to get approval for the rest of the rollout. That's exactly right. And guess what? I now have a demo that I can show a product I've shown value that I've created and I can show and tell that to other uh, constituencies across the U.S. And would it be fair to say that you were able to do that because you were forward thinking enough to understand the big picture of what was needed across the organization, but also very focused on that team to solve their problem? And so you were able to make that connection of, oh, we can solve this problem as part of this bigger solution. Is that, that's fair to say? Absolutely. That's fair to say. My first few months at Lockton, I've been at Lockton for 18 months. My first few months at Lockton, it wasn't, it wasn't stuck in a room, uh, creating architectures and technology. It was talking to people. I visited every series across the U S and I sat down and I talked with the leadership and I talked with the people uh, that were working with our customers, that were working with our producers, and understanding how we brokered insurance, uh, understanding the requests that would come in from our clients, from our prospects. And then, then we went back and we figured out, okay, what's the problems that we need to help solve? What are the, con- what are the common problems across uh, the U.S. that we need to go in and solve? And that's where we came up with the idea. We needed a we needed a test case first, and that was where the twenty the group of twenty came in. But now we can build upon that. Okay, so you get to stage one, you sell it, successful sale. The company buys. I mean, even yeah. even internally, right? Your internal people buy. All right, Byron, go roll that out. Yep. What is the people engagement look like from that step forward to make sure that the change management is done appropriately? Because it's really easy to then have you guys go back in your cave, implement that that software, that system, and then nobody wants to use it or there's confusion, they forgot yeah. about it or whatever. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Great question. So number one, you don't go back to the cave. You stay with the people or the people come to you in your cave, right? So, so you, the, the bottom line is uh, you can't just go away and build it and then show up six to 12 months later and think they're going to use it because it's not, they're going to ask for a truck and you're going to build them a bicycle. 
So, so you've got to make sure that you're in sync on what you're building. You know, part of technology, there are, there's, there's new methods and models that we're leveraging that, that we're bringing to bear called agile software development. So agile software development is different than the traditional software development in where the, the users, the end users, are actually with you during the build process. And our cycle is every two weeks. Every two, so we're two weeks heads down building something and then a show and tell day. And then we show it to the users and they say, what do you think? Do you like what we built? Or what changes do you think we should make to make your job better? Because we're building it for them. So the agile process is something new that we brought to Lockton. Uh, and it's, it's been wildly successful with the products that we have built uh, in the last 18 months to, to uh, show the users before it rolls out to them. So, so they don't go away. So the change management, that's how you deal with change management is you, you've got to be part of the team that builds it. And you got to make sure you pick the right people that are part of that. Because it, it's not the entire group, right? Because they got their day jobs. But you've got to pick the right individuals that are vocal and will give you good, honest feedback. It's not the ones that are going to sit back in the room and play on their phone. It's the ones that are engaged, that are upfront, and are going to give you feedback, and they know uh, how the process should work. Those, the ones that are engaged there, are truly successful. And I imagine that that doesn't necessarily mean the people who are really gung ho about the software either. That's because right. that, because you exactly probably right. want some of those people who are maybe in that air quote, actively disengaged bucket so that they can really test it, you know, beat it up a little bit and give you that real feedback on how you can get better. That's exactly right. Cause here, here's the deal. You, me coming in, I think I know, but maybe I don't know. You've got to have some humility around it because there's a person there that's going to have to use this thing. And if, if it doesn't work for them, then you may have built the wrong thing. So you want somebody who's going to be a naysayer, but, but a naysayer for the right reasons, not a naysayer just because, you know, I don't want to try it, but a naysayer because it doesn't work and here's why it doesn't work. So, so you need both types. Do you have an example of where that has gone wrong in any of your previous consulting roles? Because oh, wow. I, I think it's easy to sit and say, yeah, that's great. But then when you get into it, you know, things are moving quickly. You don't have time to pull the people off the front lines. It's, it's just not that easy to get that type of buy-in. It takes time. It takes purpose, right? It takes intent. And often status quo can just keep things rolling by. So do, do you have any sort of warnings on what can happen when you don't follow that oh, process? You bet. you bet. So you get, you get a half-baked solution when you don't follow that process. So here's, here's an example. I'll, I'll uh, leave the names out of it. But if you go and you deploy this piece of software to one group and you think just because that one group is enamored by it, that then it's transferable to another group, then you're, you're woefully mistaken because that other group does things a little bit differently and you need to take that into account. So then what happens? So you get some nasty words attached to the, the software. Doesn't work. 
it, it causes me twice the time to uh, do my job. I can't uh, access the information that I want to because it's stored in this blah, 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 blah. And uh, the rollout is a disaster. But it worked great over here. So, so the fallacy is just because it works over here doesn't mean that it's going to work over here. So how do you solve that? You got to bring, you got to create a broader group and bring, bring people in from each of the groups that are going to use your software, your technology, whatever it is that you're going to deploy and make sure that they're all bought in. One of the things that we're doing at Lockton is we're on a, a, a mission to migrate to the cloud. And we're in the process of migrating our email to the cloud. Well, Lockton runs on email. <laughs> so that is... Yes, yes uh, we do. Yes, you hold that with kick gloves, right? It's white glove sort of service with, with email. So we wanted to make sure that all of our uh, constituents... Uh, we're engaged. So we brought all of our IT folks that represent all of the different offices into our main office. And we said, all right, here's our game plan. Tell us why it's not going to work and poke holes in it. Um, and they came up with some awesome, awesome feedback on it. And this was, this was months ago. This was absolutely months ago. So we kicked off the migration in uh, May of this year. But before that, we've been planning for six months to make sure because, you know, revenue, uh, email is tied to our revenue chain. And we wanted to make sure that that stuff was, uh, was handled appropriate. And when you say you'd been planning, you mean you'd been planning with the people. That's right. I think it's important to, re to keep reinforcing that point. You know, you weren't planning alone. You were planning, collaborating. And then when you got the collaboration, rolled it out. That's exactly right. And then during that collaboration, we're asking, okay, what else do we need? What are what other things, what other challenges are the people facing? And especially in this new environment uh, that, that we're in, what are different things that, that we need that we should be thinking about from a technology perspective to enable folks to uh, work through the pandemic? So a lot of people that listen to this are business leaders or aspiring business leaders or a lot of HR professionals. I don't know, maybe there are some very specific technology people in here, but for the, especially for the HR folks whose job is to help guide and coach the other members of the team, what suggestions would you have for them on how they can help their technology people build some of these softer skills that they might not have? Oh, that's a great question. You've got to find a seed. And what I mean by that is it's not innate to everybody to be able to do that. And I think I would hope, maybe I'm wrong, but the, the HR leaders who are listening to this would agree, you know, some of the IT folks, they might be a little quirky. <laughs> there is that stereotype. There is that stereotype. But you, you've got to find a seed of a person uh, who does it well. They're the one that's, that's easy to start a conversation with. Uh, they're the one that uh, may be on a help desk that is easy to talk to. Um, there are a number of different sort of uh, characteristics to look for. They're probably not the coder that's heads down in their, their cubicle and cranking code. They're probably the one that uh, needs the social interactions 
with other human beings to, to, to communicate. We have built a team that has both because you need both. You need both to deliver it. So, so the, the folks uh, that interact with uh, the business, that interact with other offices around the U.S., those folks are your socialites. Those folks uh, are the ones that they hate the remote work. They want to get back in the office. They want to see people that are active on our internal sites, uh, all of that stuff. It's not that they're the greatest technologists, but they can talk to people and they can listen and they can understand the problem. And then they can translate it into stuff that the techies need to know to go, to go solve it. Those are the people to go look for. I, have you ever seen the show Scorpion? I don't think it's on anymore, but it was on a number of years ago. And it was about, it was about this group of super smart, you know, really high IQ folks who could solve, they were solving crimes. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, it was written by and based on a business that essentially does that, but not for crimes. But the, they claim that they'll solve any funded problem. And I was listening to a podcast interview uh, a number of years ago with the founder, and he's one of these guys who is just next level intelligent. And the way that he had structured their business is that he hires all of these super geniuses who generally have very low EQ scores. But then he hires people, regardless of their IQ, who have really high EQ scores, and he puts them in charge of the team. And that combination they have found has been able to go out and solve all these crazy problems. And from technology problems to one of the funny stories he shared was a billionaire had come in and asked them to break up his son and his son's gold digging girlfriend. And he, he thought that she was out for the money, which it turned out she was. And they wound up breaking them up in a, in a way that exposed her, but didn't expose the dad. And it was like, it was genius. It was on the Tim Ferriss show. So if anybody wants to go back and look at that Tim Ferriss show and the Scorpion episode, but that's what I think of when I think of what you're talking about is, you know, you mentioned having both people on the team and you need those people who can go heads down to be really, really smart. But then you also need a leader and maybe it's not even the IT leader. Maybe it's the HR leader or, or some other leader in the business who just makes sure that they're gathering consensus and doing all the things that, that you're talking about. Yeah. The, the evolution of technology and you know, small firms being able to leverage them externally. If you look at the model, and I've, I've learned this over my career, because again, I started out as a software developer, right? So I was one of those heads down sort of people. And I thought about my gosh, how could I get closer to a business so that I understood what they needed and it wouldn't just be this, again, this integration of throwing it over the fence, throwing back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and it's these types of people. It's these types of people that can listen and discuss and have a conversation around what are you trying to do? How are you trying to do it? And then articulating that back to uh, the, the technology people and how do we go solve it? So the model that we're putting in place for Lockton is just that. So we have, we have these uh, EQs that are engaging with uh, our different offices and figuring out what is it that we need to do? How do we need to make uh, video conferencing better? 
Uh, how do we need to make uh, collaboration tools better? Uh, those things are very solvable with technology, but it's figuring out how each one of our offices and listening to the people in each one of them know what the, their needs and wants and desires are so that we can bring those things to bear. You've said a couple different things that essentially, in, in what I'm hearing, dil- distill down into the question, what is the point? You know, you mentioned you were sitting there as a heads down guy, but you were asking yourself, what's the point? What role in the business do you have? What what are we after here? And you've mentioned a couple times being able to step back and think, what's the point? What are we doing? What, not just the symptoms, but what are the root causes here? How do we help the business? And then that, if you just keep asking that question, it's like asking why, you know, whatever, three or five times, whatever the rule is, you're supposed to keep digging till you get to it. But, you know, that I, I hear you saying it a lot of different ways, but that seems to be the core message of what, you, what you're saying. Yep. Here's what I believe the fundamental role of people like me are. So uh, it is uh, to help better the lives uh, of our associates, our producers, and our customers. It's to make it easier for them to do their jobs. Uh, and in order to do that, we've got to talk to people. We got to understand what isn't working for them. Because as, as a technologist, and, and here's another technology fallacy, they think they know. They, they think they know what the problem is because they built it. Well, not necessarily. Uh, you think you know that the way that you built a website or the way that a user interacts it, you have no earthly idea. So that's why you've got to get out and you've got to talk to people. So that's the point of technology is listening first to understand what the problems are and then creating what the themes. What are the themes that you can then go leverage technology to go solve them? And here's the deal, Brian. Once you do that, oh my God, it's amazing. It's amazing when you see somebody and their eyes light up and goes, you mean I can do that? You mean this is, yeah, that's how it works. Is that good? Is that okay? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So... Um, that is, you know, that's sort of our crossing the finish line, uh, winning the gold medal, uh, sort of deal for us is when we see the technology used and, you know, we're getting, we're getting feedback on how we can make it better as well. So it's never done. It's a never done deal. So that's the cool part of that. Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. I'd like to pivot a little bit and define some terms and kind of get your thoughts on these terms because you you hear a lot of buzzwords thrown around and i I think there's there can be confusion as to how they actually apply day to day in a business setting and so you know one is big data you know oh there's you know we've got big data now there's big there's big data out there what the heck does that mean and what does the middle market company do with big data? How relevant is that? It's very relevant. It's very relevant. So so what big data is, so think of it this way. You can look at one spreadsheet and you can make inferences off from that one spreadsheet of data, okay? But there's only so much you can make off from that. What if you had 10,000 different spreadsheets of the same types of data you can make a better inference off from that. So 
That's where the analytics capabilities and, and the translation of data into information and insights that can be provided. But you have to have a big repository of data to be able to make those inferences. So, so that, that has to be set up uh, for, you to, to, for you to do that. And there's a number of different environments out there from uh, Amazon, from Microsoft, from Google, uh, that, that give you big data in all sorts of different industries, whether that's, you know, if a company's doing, or sorry, if a, if a, if a household is doing research on a particular area to move into a city on, there's, there's big data elements that bring all different components of, you know, what's housing values, school system ratings, uh, crime reports, um, all of that stuff. So if you think and you go out and you buy a house and you're looking at realtor.com or zillow.com, that uses big data on the back end to generate insights that manifest themselves on a website. The same so is, is that more insurance. Sorry to cut you off. Is, is that more than for the customer facing part of the business? Or is there something that like a CEO or CFO or a head of HR that, that they can do with that? Because it seems... It doesn't seem as relevant internally, and it seems pretty daunting to go either hire somebody who can do that analysis or, or pay the money to hire a consultant. It depends on the business that you're in, uh, frankly. So if you're, if, you're in the, if, if you're an HR leader in a mid to mid-sized company, you're probably going to go buy a service uh, that's going to maybe do analytics on if, you wanna, if you've got a high-growth company and you want to bring in a company that, or sorry, you want to bring in uh, resources or staff, then you want to go, you're going to want to use uh, big data technology to go find the right people uh, that are out there. And there's a number of sources that you can go and purchase and say, you know, this is sort of the, I call it the, the DNA. Uh, this is the DNA of the type of resource. Maybe I want salespeople. So what's the DNA of the salespeople for the industry that I'm working in? Maybe we want technology people. What's the DNA of the, the technology people I'm working in? If you're talking big mega corporations like uh, IBM or uh, Amazon, uh, those sorts of things, they're, they're using big data across the board uh, and analytics to, to make inferences for. Uh, but they have their own big data sites that they are going to leverage and uh, keep up to date uh, with data from multiple sources that are out there. What about the difference between bots and artificial intelligence? Oh my, yeah, yeah. so so very different. Uh, they're very different in uh, what they do. So a bot, think of a bot, multiple different types of bots. So you've probably been out to Travelocity or Orbitz or uh, whatever. So there's the shopping bot. So the shopping bot is going to go out and they're going to go and, and look at different websites. Uh, they're robots. It's a piece of software that will go out and look at different sites and then pull that data back to a common site and then display all the information and, and, and things of that nature for you. Um, there's so it's essentially like, like an automated process. That's exactly right. It's an automated robot. It's basically. Like, a, like an if then robot yep. that just yep. follows certain programming and, that's right. We'll do those That's things. Exactly right. Oh, okay. Chatbots 
So chatbots, you probably experienced this if you called into a help desk uh, or something like that, where it says, we're a bank. You might have gone onto a bank and it pops up and says, how can I help you? Can you type in a phrase? And it hits a database of words that then will come back. Is this what you're asking about? Bank statement or something like that. From a user perspective, I've seen that those are... They will handle the majority of the the requests that come in. But if you're a heavy service-oriented company, would not recommend those because they will just tick your users off. They'll tick your clients off uh, and they'll tick your users off. So you want to you avoid those. Uh, but sometimes you have to so because you got so much volume coming in that, that you need to sort of try to solve for the, the majority and then the, the big tough ones will go to a human. Uh, so, and then there's, there's search bots. So have you ever thought about when you go to a Google search? Okay, how do you... How do they figure out which one is going to be uh, on the top of the list? So there is an entire industry around the Google search algorithm. And Google uses bots to traverse different web pages and does indexing uh, of those web pages. And then those web pages, if they have the right stuff for the bot, will show up on the front page of a Google search. So number of different pieces. AI, AI is machine thinking, okay? AI you know, leverages patterns to make uh, a decision on something. So those patterns can be simple patterns or those patterns can be complicated patterns. Uh, so a simple example is we all have probably gas, water, electricity bills. Okay, so a pattern, a common pattern is I get a bill every month and my gas bill always has my total usage and my total price in a specific spot on the paper. Well, guess what? I can have a machine learn that where my usage is and my cost is and I can have it take that information off and put it into a database somewhere. Same with my water bill, gas bill, etc. So then I can have all my bills come in and then the AI piece of it will say, oh, this one has the, the, the amount in this spot on the paper. Therefore, it must be the gas bill. That's artificial intelligence. So being able to have enough data to discern that this with confidence that this piece is a gas bill, this one is an electric bill, and this one is a water. So you, you, you extrapolate that to other entities, like think about medical, right? So being able to look at an x-ray or an MRI scan and being able to track patterns of different pieces and parts that might be in there. So now you can have a computer look at all of those data. The more data, that you have, the more patterns that you have to, to match, the better your artificial intelligence is going to be. So over time, a machine could look at those, like look at an X-ray and say, 95% chance you have this condition. That's right. That's exactly right. To be honest with you, that's where a lot of with MRIs becoming much more prevalent. You can get that digitization 
And as you get the digitization, then you can have a computer look at the pattern and then you have it learn. And then over time, it can diagnose. And that's where, that's where it's going to be very interesting. So you, you said machine learning, or, or I'm sorry, you said machine thinking. Is that the same as machine learning? So artificial intelligence is more around machine thinking. Machine learning is figuring out the pattern of where the, the total is on my electric bill, the total on my gas, and the total on my water. So figuring out the pattern that is always here and it's always here. The interesting thing is when you throw anomalies into it. When you throw anomalies into it, then the more data that you have, it can even make an inference that, oh, this is a brand new data element that I've never seen before. So it's not this, it's a new category. Start collecting data on that pattern. So that's machine learning as opposed to artificial intelligence, where you look at all the patterns and you start making inferences based on those patterns. I want to make sure I get this right. So with machine thinking, mm-hmm. that's recognizing patterns in existing data. Yep. With machine learning, that's recognizing patterns in new data. No, machine learning is the creation of the patterns. Machine learning is creating the patterns, patterns. so that that's the machine right. thinking can analyze That's them. right. Okay, let me say that. Let me just say that again for my, my own self. So, machine learning is looking at a bunch of data and pulling out what the patterns are. Machine thinking is then looking at those patterns and making sense of them. You got it. Making inferences from them. Making That's inferences exactly right. from them. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I know we, 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 we technology guys like to make it complicated. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's all right. Uh, I just wanted to get through that because you you hear bots, AI, machine learning, big data. Oh. You hear those terms thrown out all the time, and you know people will probably still listen to this and have questions. But I, I just wanted to get through that because they're they're talked about so much. So 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 here's the interesting thing. So if you put the three elements together, big data, machine learning, and artificial intelligence, so here's how they work together. All right. So think about the pattern. So pattern is just a bunch of data. That data has to rest somewhere so a machine can look at it. So where does the data rest? Big data. So that those big data stores can house these patterns of information inside of a big data, uh, wherever it may be. Google, Amazon, it might be uh, on your internal site. And then you can then start making inferences around machine thinking or artificial intelligence on asking questions of these patterns. But you've got to have the big data, right? So some can be very simple and some can be very complex, especially as you get into the medical field. And then can you take that further, one step further to say, once you know what the patterns are, then you can program a bot to respond in a certain way? You can. That's right. That's exactly right. So, so, So once you know that 95% 95% of my people calling in from Chicago are going to ask me this question. Then you can program the bot to say, all right, this person is calling in from Chicago. Therefore, the first question I'm going to anticipate is this. Be ready to go with the responses. That clears a lot up in my head. I, I, mm-hmm. I need to like compartment. I need to have everything in an order in my head and that <laughs> that helps me a lot. So I appreciate that. Good, good, good. Uh, well, I know we're running out of time here and want to be respectful. I, I have one question that I end with that I 
ask everybody, and it is unrelated to what we've been talking about here today, but I'm curious as the technology expert, what in your mind is the purpose of business? What in my mind is the purpose of business? It's, it is to enhance the lives of others by providing a service or a widget or a capability. And the businesses that are successful, again, get out and talk to their people who they're servicing and make their product better. It's just like IT. Business is just like IT. And business, if you're in IT, then you should be able to figure out how to enable that better, faster, cheaper, and with enhanced products to make your business better. I love it. Byron, I really appreciate the time today. I know you're a busy man. We have a lot going on at Lockton uh, that you're a part of. So I appreciate you sharing your wisdom and expertise here with us today. Uh, thank you so much for being on. It was fun. I hope uh, it's informational to your uh, to your audience. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of good nuggets in here. So really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, O'Brien. Hey, folks, one last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.